As I've said for the last month or so, if you're really sick, you shouldn't come, flu or cold, you know, um, because we pass it on. I've gotten it four times. Thank you all. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, and I wish you would treat me like a vampire if you're sick. When you see me, go like this, and I will back off, okay? But we really need to help each other because it, it isn't very helpful to be passing all this sickness. Number two, I have two uh, old friends, not old friends, but friends of old who are here. Vince was in the seminary with me, so he, in this building right now, he's the one who's known me the longest. And Carla was in my third parish. Seven years after ordination, I ended up in Wilmington. And they worked together for I don't know how long before they discovered that they knew me in common. So, uh, so they contacted me and they came here today for the first time to celebrate Mass here at St. Bernard. So welcome to you both. Okay. <clears throat> now, growing up as a kid, there were some things that I was taught. I, probably all kids were taught these things like, honey, don't pick your nose in public. That's rude, isn't it? So if you see a little kid and they're really doing some gold mining or something, you say, stop it. Put that hand down. Don't do that in public. It's rude. Another one is, don't point. Don't point at somebody. Oh, that's just awful. Well, today we have a story of, I mean, he's like a pointer dog, John the Baptist. The whole reason he existed, according to Scripture, was to point at Jesus. So that when Jesus came into the world, he was going to be the one to say, there he is. Now all the prophets of old had foretold that a Messiah was coming and the Jews were waiting and waiting, um, not very patiently by the way. And then John the Baptist comes along and he points him out. And later Jesus would say, of all the men of this world ever born of a woman, John the Baptist is the greatest. He's the greatest. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. What an interesting statement. So that John is kind of like this point in history, all these great prophets. We're talking Moses and Isaiah, Jeremiah, amazing prophets that the Jews had the deepest respect for. But Jesus says, this is the one. He's the pointer. Nobody in history had the role that John did to be there right there as Jesus came into the world in public life and say, there he is, son of God. But he wasn't a part of the kingdom in the sense that he was here after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was beheaded before Jesus went on the cross. So he wasn't part of the kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. And you and I are. So we need to examine these scriptures today because, like I like to say, there's two ways of looking at the scriptures. First is the little story. That's what's on the page. That's what we've been given historically in time, this story. But the big story is how it applies to us, its implications for us, how we are in that story, or better, how the story is in us. Because that's always true. These scriptures, it's the living word of God. It's not some historical book 2,000 years ago. It's the living word of God. And when we read it or hear it proclaimed to us, we are supposed to say, what's this got to do with me? So, in the first reading, we hear the prophet telling that he had been chosen in the womb by God 
formed and shaped so that he would proclaim to Israel, Israel, you are special in God's eyes, and you are chosen, and you will be important in, in, in light of all peoples. But then goes on to say, but you will be a light to the nations. You will be a light to the nations. In the second reading, Paul says that he was called to be an apostle. Does anybody know the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Well, a disciple is called to follow Jesus. An apostle is called to go proclaim him. We're all called to be disciples by baptism. In fact, I don't know why when I came here, I began to use that triple formula I use at every Mass. I, if there's 365 days a year, I'll, I'll times it by two when you add in all my funerals and weddings and quinceaneras and several Sunday Masses. So that's 365, 12, 13, uh, 7, uh, 8, 800 and uh, whatever, a whole bunch. Over 800 times a year, more than that, I say we are called to be disciples. And I believe that. If you're baptized, you're now a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. At some point, following him, listening to him, following him, listening to him, following him and allowing his word to grow more and more in your and my heart, there has to come a point where we say, okay, Lord, I believe you're doing more than just calling me to follow you. You want to send me forth to proclaim you and to proclaim your word and your name to others. That's our call. That's when we mature into our role. We become kind of like a John the Baptist. So John, in the Gospel of John, and this is a kind of a unique one, it's the only one in which he says these words, he's standing there at the River Jordan, and Jesus has come to be baptized with all the other sinners, not because he was a sinner, but he was uniting and connecting with sinful man and woman, because he was going to be the one to save them from their sin. So he had identified with it. And then John points to him and says, in front of everyone, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, can anyone, I, I don't mean to be putting you on the spot, but I just think it's always nice to hear a voice other than just mine. What's this Lamb of God that he's referring to? It's the Paschal Lamb. This is the Lamb when Moses was sent by God to free the people from, uh, Israelite people from uh, Pharaoh and Egypt. He sent Moses who brought these plagues and no matter what he did, the Pharaoh's uh, magicians were able to kind of match him. So the last one God said, okay, when I think you do this Moses, ain't gonna be no matching with this one. He says, you're gonna go and tell my people to kill their best lamb. They're gonna roast it and eat it because they're gonna need some strength for the next day but they're to take the blood from the lamb and sprinkle it on the doorposts. And then I'm gonna send at midnight the angel of death who's going to go and kill the firstborn male of every animal and man and woman. The firstborn male, because the firstborn, everything was passed on through the firstborn male. And he said, believe you me, Pharaoh will let you go after this. So that's what they did. Sprinkled the lamb on the doorpost. Now that blood, sprinkle the, the blood of the lamb, that blood is what saved them from the angel of death. Then they ate the lamb to have the strength and life so that they could go, begin to march across the desert and get free from Pharaoh. So every year, because the angel of death, get ready, 
passed over the houses with the blood sprinkled on the doorposts. Every year after that, until the present, about 4,000 years later, the Jews still celebrate the Passover, and they eat lamb on the night of the Passover to celebrate that God, who saved the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians and from Pharaoh, is always there saving and protecting and giving us life. That's the Passover. And that's what John says is Jesus. He's the new Passover. Because Moses was sent by God to free the people from slavery to Egypt. Jesus was sent by God to free the people from slavery to sin. So he's the new Moses. And a much deeper salvation is taking place. Because it's true, we can be enslaved by other people. But to be enslaved to sin, to be lost so that sin controls our lives and all of our decisions and keeps us down, keeps us down, to be freed from that is a liberation that is so deep that no matter what happens, to be subjugated to other people, here we can be free because deep in our spirit, we know this freedom, this grace, this love of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how is he the Lamb of God? Well, he'll be up on that cross. He'll give every single drop of his blood. Reluctantly, he surrendered himself. Did he fight it? He accepted it. And he did it with a spirit that was incredible. Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but to, to be forgiving and loving in that moment, uh, it's, to me, it's just divine. There's no way, unless there's an infusion of grace and love from God that is so powerful that you could see a reality for something much more than just on the surface. And on the surface, it was horrific. That's what we're invited to. Now, if we have been disciples and we've heard that message, we've looked at the cross, we've blessed ourselves umpteen million times in our lifetime, we bless ourselves, you know, always doing it as disciples. When's the point that we say, not enough? I have to be an apostle. I have to share this good news I have because I know what, what John the Baptist said. There's a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he is. And he's been given to us to free us from the power of sin to subjugate us and control us. And we believe in a grace from God that is so powerful that we have the power actually to walk through this world and liberate other people. One example. Because you see, if, if we pick a Gandhi or a Mother Teresa or even a Martin Luther King Jr. this, this weekend, uh, you know, they're giants. These are giants. But let me give you a little girl who I think is also a giant. I'll mispronounce her name. Please forgive me. But it, it, Ma, Mali, Mali the, the little Indian girl, Pakistani girl, who was shot. Um, somebody give me her name. Who? Mala, Malana? Okay, Malana, thank you. Um, so there she is the daughter of, I think, two teachers. And um, she believed deeply in education in a country where, um, where a religious sect did not want girls educated. 
Be careful if you educate girls. I'm telling you, be careful. Because they're going to come back and say a whole bunch of things that we might not want to hear, especially the men, okay? And she believed in her education, and she, she was like a sponge, took every drop of education she could get. I'll tell you, girls like that who are prohibited from being in school, and so many children in Africa, they go to school and they're just like this, sucking it all in. They're not like our children. None of them are here, by the way. These are other children who come to school like this, and it's total boredom the whole day. They're like this. <sighs> no. Sucking it all up. So what happens? They shoot her in the head to try to kill her. But she survives. So her parents take her to England where she gets the best of doctors. And she survives this attempted assassination. And what does she do when she comes out? She's petrified. She says, I'll never go to school again, Mom. It's over. It's over. How stupid I was to even think I could do this. It's over. Just let me alone now. I don't even want to go out of the house. I'm so afraid. On the contrary, she gets up, and she's a public speaker now for the world. All the more reason we need to be educated. It's the uneducated who would do something like this. But we become educated so that we can free the world and love the world and grow as a world. There's a giant. She was 14 when this happened. I think she's 17 now. Would that I would have courage like that. That's an apostle, and I don't think she's Christian. That's an apostle who can go out into the world and touch other people's lives and free them. Free them. Now, this is not a shaming moment, so please don't take it this way. It's going to sound like one. But what I should be looking at in this church right now is about 400 apostles, not disciples. We should be much more. Oh, we continue to be disciples because I guess that role never ends. Every time we sit at the foot of Jesus and listen, we should get something new. I think at 66, I'm more compassionate than I was at 65. I know I am, as a matter of fact. Because at 65, I was more compassionate than 64, and it's only because I kept aging and hearing the message deeper. And every year you chomp on it, you get something more. And if we're, even if we're half awake, just half awake and listening, the Word of God keeps enlivening us and giving us something more. That's discipleship that never stops. But becoming both an intentional disciple and then an intentional apostle, these are choices. You see, we're disciples just by the fact that we get baptized. Whether we want to be or not, we, we become a disciple. But, you know, we can... We can have the scriptures proclaimed to us and be sleeping the whole time with our eyes wide open. Well, we're disciples, but are we taking it in? But if we do take it in and it begins to shape us more and more, I would say it is almost inevitable that we will be led to the point of becoming an apostle. And when we become an apostle, this is an enormous call. To say, not that I'm going to go stand on the corner with a megaphone screaming Jesus, but maybe more like that phrase attributed to Francis of Assisi, but they say he never said it. Uh, At all times, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. 
And I would say 99% of the time, not only is it not necessary, I'd say it's preferable not to use words. Do it. Don't talk about compassionate, compassion, be compassionate. Don't talk about love, but love. Here's a good one. Don't talk about forgiveness, be forgiving. And when that happens, not only does the word of God come alive in us, but we become true apostles.